We come in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 5, to the verses 6 through to the end. And the first line in verse 6, The hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod. The heavy hand of Jehovah is our subject this morning. Not just the Lord's hand, but the heaviness of it. It's a great and glorious hand that has a great and glorious weariness. There's nothing light about God's hand. It's not shortened that it cannot save, neither is it light that it cannot crush and destroy. Now we leave Dagon's temple, and as we left Dagon's temple, the Holy Spirit showed us Dagon's hands. They had been cut off right at the threshold, and there they lay, and the priests saw it. And all the people of Ashdod knew it. The hands of their God were cut off. Useless, utterly powerless. Even when he had his hands joined to him, he handled not. He was still powerless. He, in actual fact, is the work of men's hands. Men's hands made him. And his hands are powerless. But God mutilates them nonetheless. Not to make him powerless. For he is that. But to let Philistia see. That what is to happen in the land. Is not the hands of Dagon. But is in the hand of the God of Israel. Now we're going to see the true hand. The heavy hand, the only real and substantial hand in the universe, the hand of God. So let us watch that this morning. Not Dagon's hands, but God's. In fact, there is an indication here that Dagon's hands are light and weightless. Because what does it say there at the end of verse 4? The palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold, his head too. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. And it's really very funny because the words the stump of are in italics. There's nothing in the Hebrew to suggest that. It just says his head and his hands are cut off, only Dagon's left. What? He's still the same. He still has the same weight and value. It's still Dagon with the hands or without the hands, with the head or without the head. He's still the same weight, the same Dagon. He's useless. He's vain. He's as light as fluff. He's vanity. He doesn't see. He doesn't speak. He doesn't hear. He doesn't handle. He doesn't smell. He can't walk. Later than vanity, he's nothing. He has no substance. Lost his head, but 
All he's lost is a cork, lost his hands, but they're just paper thin. God's hand is substantial. It's heavy. So the Lord wants us to think about that. So he brings us out of Dagon's temple and says, now, now watch my hand. Notice it's in the singular. The two hands of Dagon lie in the temple, but behold the hand of the Lord. Just one hand. His mighty right hand, where Christ sits. That's all God needs, just the right hand, just the one hand. Now you have to understand here in this chapter that the Holy Spirit is using Exodus language, redemption language. Smite, destroy, plagues going through the land, the hand of God doing it. That's Exodus language. That's redemptive language. Philistia is going to beg in verse 11, send the ark of God away. Let it go. And the people of Egypt were saying that too. Send them away. Let them go. The land is devastated. So parallels here with, with the Exodus. And the Holy Spirit intends that. This is the Exodus of the ark. And in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the Bible uses that language. His death is the exodus. Do you remember Moses and Elijah came and what did they speak to the Lord Jesus about? They spoke to him about, about the exodus that he would accomplish. This, this is straight all the Bible. This is redemptive language for how God saves his people in the judgment and in the destruction of Satan and the demons. And so the ark is going to be let go. It will have a saving exodus. But not before his mighty hand is made bare. The Bible says he saveth with the saving strength of his right hand. That's where it all takes place, at the right hand. There's no salvation apart from that. That's why Christ sits there, at the right hand. Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. Them which put their trust in thee. You remember it was on the eve of the Lord's exodus. The eve of his crucifixion. He sang a psalm. Uh, and we know that that psalm was Psalm 118. You should ever read it in the light of the cross. And part of the psalm goes in dwellings of the just. The voice of joy and health shall be. The right hand of the mighty Lord doth ever valiantly. The right hand of the mighty Lord. Exalted is on high. The right hand of the mighty Lord doth ever valiantly. And Jesus sung about that as he went to the cross. And he thought about the exodus as he went to the cross. And he thought about Philistia as he went to the cross. Where, where all of this has been played out in the historic Narrative of redemption. The valiant right hand of God. The heavy hand of God, as the Holy Spirit says here. And Christ himself was that right hand. 
Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in his cross. So it's all here in typological and picture form. We have before us then the triumphant Redeemer who destroys Satan and hell. Now we have to appreciate this word heavy. It's a word that the Holy Spirit uses. Now we don't appreciate it in the English language, but the Hebrews, they appreciate this word. But why does the Spirit of God use that word? Well, because it's, it's weighty and mighty, his hand. It can't be resisted. Yes, of course, that's true. But why not just say mighty? Our irresistible hand. Our powerful hand. Why this weightiness, this heaviness? Why, why would the Spirit draw our attention to that word? Well, it is because the word heavy is, is more or less the same word as glory. They have the same Hebrew letters. Heavy and glory. And the heavy hand of the Lord is a hand of glory. You remember Paul said about the eternal weight of glory. He's bringing that out of his knowledge of the Hebrew words. Heaviness, weight. The eternal weight of glory. The weight of heaviness. The glory of glory. The heaviness of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. He is glory. He is substantial. He is weight. He is heaviness. God's glory is, is the true glory and the true weightiness in the whole universe. He's the only one that is substantial and true and real and full. We are lighter than vanity. We are altogether weightless. Dagon is light. Dagon is vanity. But God is glory. Infinite glory. Eternal glory. Unmatched glory. And the Philistines are going to feel the weight of that glory. So this is why the word Heavy is the word that the Holy Spirit uses. A play on that word glory. Because you remember Eli's daughter-in-law. What did she say? Ichabod. The glory has gone. The heaviness has departed. It's gone. Where is the glory? That's what Ichabod means in actual fact. Where is the glory? And we leave chapter 4, her asking that question, where is the glory? And we go into chapter 5 and we say, here's it here. Here's the glory here. Here's the heaviness of God here. In Philistine. Now whenever she said it's departed, she did not mean that it had ceased to exist. She did not mean it had disappeared and went into the fluffy thin air and gone, gone, invisibly gone and forever gone. No, she didn't mean that. She just meant it's gone from us. And that was sad. That the glory had gone from Israel. But it had gone somewhere else. It had gone into its own exodus. Into exile. To do a great redemptive work. And so... It had to depart because it's going to be redeeming. It's going to deal with Satan. It's going to deal with the wicked. Hasn't gone forever, 
but it's just gone to do a work. So we want to speak about the heavy hand of God. There are three things as we have time. First of all, I want to speak about its solitariness. The solitariness of the divine hand. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon them. It's God's hand by itself. Not the hand of the Lord and this and that and the other in Israel. No, it's the hand of the Lord. He's on his own. He's by himself in Philistia. Israel is in flight. Israel is defeated. All the hands of Israel are away home to their tents. Israel does not have a saving hand. Israel has lost the battle. It's God's hand alone. In Philistia. The hand of the Lord. And the Lord, the Bible tells us, in the great redemptive work, he has to tread the winepress alone. Alone. There's no other hand that can save us. And God won't have any hand joined to him in the matter of salvation. It's the heavy hand of God alone that redeems. It's the solitary hand. Where Christ sits alone. You remember the Lord said unto Gideon. The people with thee are too many. For me to give the Midianites in, into their hands. He says. Because Israel will vaunt themselves. There's too many hands here. And Israel will vaunt themselves. And I wanted to know. My hand alone. Brings them salvation. So get rid of most of this army Gideon. The hand of the Lord is alone. It doesn't share the glory. His hand has all the heaviness. His hand has all the glory. Our hand, however important you may think it is, brother or sister, your hand is vanity as is mine. It's God's hand alone. And God can do without our hand. And he will do so because we'll all pass on someday. He doesn't need our hand. And Israel can never say, my own hand have saved me. No, in the matter of salvation, we have to always say, it's the Lord's hand that saved me. In the matter of salvation, in the matter of defeating Satan, in the matter of removing sin, in the matter of being conquerors, it's only God's hand that can save us. Only God's hand can crush Satan. Only God's hand can cut off his head and hands. Only God's hand can set us free. Sin is too much for us Satan is too great for us. It's only the hand of our Redeemer that can deliver us. And the grave is too hard for us and we can't resist it. We can't even keep, keep ourselves out of the grave. That's, that's how useless our hands are. We can't even defeat the last enemy. But God's hand does it all. It all alone. He alone saveth. As the Bible says, they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance. Because, Lord, you had favor unto them. Thine hand alone. Not by works of righteousness that we have done. But... According to his hand of grace, he saved us. Not the labor of my hand, 
can fulfill thy law's demands. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Not our hands. His hand. And so the risen Savior, he showed his hands. It's I. It's my hands. I'm the only Savior. See the marks. See the marks. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we see the marks. He shows us his hands. He says, this is what has saved you. These hands that were outstretched on the cross, outstretched to embrace the whole world, these hands alone save you. That's the importance of him showing his hands. And he's showing us his hand in this chapter this morning. The solitariness of the divine hand. The next thing is the sovereignty of that hand. It's powerful, unmatched in its working. Let's see what it does very quickly. And to do that we must follow the journey of the ark as it makes its way through Philistia. And the first place that it starts out of course is Ashdod. The hand of God was heavy upon them of Ashdod. He destroyed them and smote them. It was a destroying hand. It's a very intensive verb that. He brought destruction to them. Certainly many died. We know that. Not necessarily multitudes, but many died. But more important, this word destruction talks about their heart. Their heart died. They were destroyed inside. They were consumed with terror. They were utterly dismayed. What took place that they were so destroyed in spirit? Hemorrhoids. Now the word means lumps or swellings. Certainly there were lumps and swellings in the secret parts, tumors. The word suggests risings. Little hills. The place is plagued by rodents as well. We know that from the text. Especially in chapter 6. And there are some who think that this is a bubonic plague. The black death. The link with the rodents. And the lumps. Especially prominent in the secret parts. A usually fatal death. Unless it's early treated. It's a terrible plague whatever it is. The Bible says he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Such as things like this in the secret parts cause you to have. A perpetual reproach. They were painful. As I said, frequently fatal because we know that many died. And it extended to the coast of Ashdod. That is, it went outside to the villages, the communities round about the city. It was so extraordinary... That when the men of Ashdod saw it, they said, The ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. The coin has dropped. They realize it's the hand of the Lord. They're destroyed. They're consumed. They're in a perpetual reproach. Their enemies had run from them and showed them their back ends and they boasted and they rejoiced and now God smites them in their rear. And they know it's the hand of God alone that has done that. 
It's extraordinary that even they see it. They've been illuminated to know the cause, the true cause and the effect. They doesn't just say there's a virus running about here. They don't just say there's some kind of plague that has risen up out in the land. No, they are illuminated enough to say it's the Lord. It's the ark of the God of Israel. It's the hand. That's the word they use. The hand of the Lord has done this. The Lord sends sickness. The Lord raises up rodents. And plagues the land with mice and rats. Would the Lord do that? The Bible says the hand of the Lord did do it. He's sovereign. That's what we're saying. The sovereign hand. Even over sickness. Over virus. Now let's go to the cause. The true cause. The sovereign cause of it all. The hand of the Lord. I've done this. Sovereign over the fleas. The viruses. Dagon and the Philistine hands are all powerless. At Gath. It was not just a case of the same. There seems to have been an intensification. And again, this, the hand of God is identified by the Holy Spirit as the cause. They say there in verse 8, what, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They said, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried unto Gath. And they carried the ark of the God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a great a very great destruction, the Bible says here. So it's not just a great destruction, it's a very great destruction in Gath. An intensification. It's citywide. None escape. You notice how it says here, both small and great. He smote the men of the city, both small and great. None escaped. Those who had the money to buy medicine, those who had means to obtain the help, but yet they had no help. Even the great. It wasn't just the small. It wasn't just the poor. When God's hand strikes, the great are as vulnerable as the small and the poor. And then the next stop was Akron. And the Akronites, they were no fools. They knew the ark's on the way. They had learned from the reports. And they were quick to protest the ark of God that was sent to them. Verse 10 came to pass as the ark of God came to Akron. That the Akronites cried out saying. They have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us. To slay us and our people. So they protested. But the protests were too late. The ark of God was on the journey. It was at the gates. And God's hand entered in nonetheless. And it began to work in Akron too. Because we read there that they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Do you see that? How, how this section is enclosed between verse 6 and near the end, verse 11. The hand of the Lord was heavy. And at the end it's very heavy intensify, more glorious as it makes its journey until it's very glorious. God can smite sinners and does do so. The men that died not were smitten with hemorrhoids. 
and the cry of the city went up to heaven. That's different. Not to Dagon, but to the heaven of heavens. There was a loud cry. You know, God can smite sinners and does do so. And he smites cities, Ashdod, Akron, Gath, and towns, the coastal towns thereof. God can smite nations. And he does so, congregation. He does so. Especially proud nations. Especially arrogant nations who think that their hand has all the military might and all the military power and that they can do whatever they please. God especially humbles those nations with his mighty hand. And we can watch for it in our times and are watching. Remember how Job said, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath brought this? He's been thinking about the hand of God and and what it's done. And and who doesn't know that God's hand has done all of this? And then he adds, In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? It's all in that hand. God's hand. Every breath of every human being. You don't want to toy with God's hand. And once again we're seeing Hannah's prayer being fulfilled, aren't we? What does she say? There's none holy as the Lord. There's none beside him. There's no rock like our God. Don't be talking so exceedingly proudly before him. Don't let arrogancy come out of your mouth before him. For he's a God of knowledge. And by him's actions are are weighed. Weighed. Not only does he have a heavy hand. He he weighs other people's hands and minds and thoughts and words. He does the way. The Lord killeth, she said. The Lord brings down to the grave, she said. The wicked shall be silent in darkness. Here it is. It's all what she sung about, all being fulfilled here in chapter 5. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. It's all here. No escaping the right hand of the Lord. What was it to sing in the Exodus? Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, have dashed in pieces the enemy. That's the song of of the Exodus. So we've seen the solitariness of the hand, the sovereignty of the hand. Notice, lastly, how sinners respond to it. What do the Philistines do every time? Well, every time they send the ark away, don't they? Not the right response. They send the ark away, Ashdod to Gath, Gath to Akron, and Akron back to Israel to Beth Shemesh. All the time, sending it away, away from them. They want the hand of the Lord to go, to depart. Just wanted to go. Send it away, let it go. We shouldn't have brought it into us at all. Let it go. And so this is not a true seeking of God. This is not the way to behave under the mighty hand of God. This is not faith in Christ. Send it away. And they devise ways to get rid of God. Because that's just what the wicked do. The Lord smites them and they just devise other means to get rid of 
that hand on their conscience. Get it away. Get it away. No abandoning Dagon. No repentance. No turning. None whatsoever. No sinners fleeing to the Lord. No. They just want the Lord gone. Israel mourns God's departure. It's gone. But Philistia just wants it to go. To depart. Do you want the Lord in your life? Truly? Are the times when you tell him, go away. Depart. You have to repent of that sin. No. Go away. Depart. I, I don't want to be challenged about that sin. Go. Go, God. Is that how we treat the Lord? Go away. Away with the glory. Now it's understandable. God is holy. God's a consuming fire. And they're feeling the, the, the wrath. And even Peter felt it. He says, depart from me, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. Even God's people sometimes say it. Because so holy is God. And so great we feel our sins sometimes to be. I would even say, Lord, depart from me. Go away. So this is a common but wrong response. You remember the people of Gadara? Uh, how that they came and they saw Jesus and the man who was clothed in, in his right mind and the devil's out of his life and he was changed and he transformed and all the pigs were lying dead down at the beaches. The mighty hand of the Lord that redeeming hand that destroyed the devil's swine and delivered a man from the clutches of legion. That heavy hand. But the people of Gadara come and they prayed him that he would depart from their coast. That he would go, just like Philistia. They, they play out the Philistines themselves again as every human being does who rejects God. So they besought him to depart from them for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again thither. We must know, congregation, that it's not only unconverted sinners that God's hand is heavy upon. Sometimes it's heavy upon us too. It can be heavy upon us. Individually. And corporately as a congregation. God can put his heavy hand upon us. And we can be just swiped off our feet with, with the death that flood through us. It can happen. It has happened. So sometimes it takes a heavy hand to bring us back to God. To restore us. To cause us to break off our sins. And to be truly humble. And to end relationships that, that are wrong. Sometimes God uses a heavy hand. Plagues and sicknesses and approaching death call us back to God. And what does the Bible say? Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. That, that's the true response. Not say, Lord, depart, go away. The true response is to humble yourself under the heavy hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. O Belshazzar. Thou hast not humbled thyself. 
though, though he saw God's hand right on the wall and all of this and all of that and had tokens of God's heavy hand and yet you haven't humbled yourself. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, James says, and he shall lift you up. You see, the psalmist, you know, he spoke more about the heaviness of God on his own life than he did on his enemies. For example, he said, day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. Your heavy hands on me, Lord. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I mean, that's what the cross is all about. The heavy hand of Jehovah is on his son. His moisture is being turned into the drought of summer as he is a sin bearer. There's no being saved without the heavy hand of God falling. Well, it fell in Christ. Remember how the psalmist said, Thine arrows stick fast in me, thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, Lord. There's no rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, and heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled and bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. My loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Wow. That's God's hand on him. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. Even God's people feel it for their sins and backslides. And so we must recognize congregation when we are under God's hand, under his stroke. We must not go into denial about it. God's goodness leadeth us to repentance. So you must remember that this is not only judging the Philistines. There is something of grace here too. Because not all of them died. And there was time to repent. There was space to repent under the mighty hand of God. And to leave Dagon and to turn to the Lord. There's something gracious in the heavy hand of God as well. Showing them their folly. Melting them. Doesn't God melt us? Doesn't God show us our folly? Doesn't God bring us to repentance? And he does that to the nations and he does that to Philistia. And when he smites the nations, he accompanies that smiting hand with the gospel, you know. You see that in Psalm 2, for example. The nations are rising up. Let's break away his cords. You know, let's have done with them. And God says, he'll laugh. He'll speak unto them. And then he'll vax them. He'll vax them. But that's not the end of the story. He also says, you nations, you, you nobles, you kings, you princes, fear the Lord. Turn to the Lord. He speaks unto them in his wrath, but he also sends them the gospel. And he says, be wise, you kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish with the way. Yes, his heavy hand accompanies his gospel. It goes before his gospel, calling men to humble themselves and repent and turn to Christ. 
and Philistia had that opportunity. And that's the true response. When God smites us, when God, as it were, humbles us, when he brings us low, whenever we're destroyed in our spirit, we have to say, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And pardon all my iniquities. And restore to me the joy of that comforting salvation. 